Amen. Why don't we just praise God for sending his son and his... Awesome. As the youth are taking off here, we're going to begin to move into our next, uh, our, this final installment to this series, Forgotten Christmas Classics, as we've been talking about. This is going to be a bit of a different sermon for everybody here, and maybe you've uh, never experienced a first-person sermon before, but it's, uh, it literally is a sermon. It's one of the best ways to present history and present uh, the background of a story and invest in it the ideas of the text. And so we're, we're, we're kind of moving through. We've, we've looked at a whole bunch of different forgotten people at Christmas time. We looked at the original St. Nicholas. We've checked, out, uh, we've checked out the wise men. We've checked out Herod. And again, we're going to dive into uh, another guy who's been forgotten, namely Joseph. This is Joseph's nightmare before Christmas, as we call it. Like uh, Tim said, this is his favorite one. I, I like this one and the Grinch one as well. But the reality is for us to kind of take a step back and say, hey, what, what was really going on on Christmas? What does this really look like? If we were to examine what happened and look at it in a historical manner, in a historical package, what are the things that, have, that, are, that are being missed and lost. In fact, what's interesting is Joseph is one of those people that isn't focused on very well in history. Sort of like the UPS deliverer for Jesus. You know, shows up, drops Jesus off, and then he's gone from the story. And instead, what I want to do is help us realize that what we're looking at is Joseph was actually the prime character in the book of Matthew for the Christmas story. And so if you want to kind of follow along the Christmas story from the biblical text, you can grab a Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 2, and you can kind of see where this source material is coming from. And then we're going to flip over to Luke a little bit here and there into his narrative. But primarily, this is, an, this is really kind of an exegesis, a pulling out an interpretation of the Christmas story as delivered in the book of Matthew chapter, chapter 2. Now, as we do this, I want you guys to know this is not, um, the, the things that I'm going to deliver are researched as best as I can. They're as historical as I can kind of accurately get them. There's a lot of questions that are involved in the history of Christmas, like barns and no barns, and I've made some interpretations and some, some thinking through this area. So this is not going to be your traditional Christmas story, but what I'm hoping to deliver to you guys is a Christmas story that is accurate as, as possible to history. So as we dive into this, um, again, um, it's, it's a little different, so hope that you guys are, are, will enjoy uh, joining with us. You don't have to take notes. If you want, you can. If you've got something that strikes you, go ahead. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to dive into this now. So. All right, stay there. Good. Oh, I, no, no, I'm sorry. No, I, I, I'm taking off. I can't really help you right now. Um, yeah, I know you need a carpenter. Home. I'm going home. Nazareth? No, I didn't think so. No, nobody's ever heard of Nazareth. This is, this is a place way up north in Galilee, near Sepphoris. You've heard of Sepphoris? Yeah, yeah, okay. It's, it's near there. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm, well, honestly, I'm going home because this miserable time in Egypt is finally over, uh, and God's, God's kind of told me to go home. So we're, we're gathering, we're packing up, it'll be good. Um, me, my wife, and my, my son. Um, oh, my name? I'm Joseph. No, I don't have a mini-colored coat. Like, I haven't heard that before. No, I just plain old despise Joseph. I, I am just, that, don't worry about it, okay? Um, just, just go find a carpenter. He'll help you out with your, pr um, yeah, I've heard from God. Yeah, from, in a dream. Okay, can we, 
Well, honestly, the dream was, it's not the first time. I've had a couple dreams, and these dreams are probably not that exciting. You really want me? Okay, fine, I'll tell you about it. It was a it was an interesting situation, to be honest. It's the reason we're down here in Egypt in the first place. The first dream just kind of threw everything out. Um, it, was, it started about a year and a half ago, honestly, and I was uh, having um, just a conversation with my dad. As we were walking from Sepphoris, we had a job down in the city, and it's about an hour walk to, to Nazareth. And so as we were traveling along, my, of course, my dad's going into all of his normal conversations. Son, we are of the line of David. Do you understand what this means? I mean, we could be the branch. You could be the branch. You could be the next king. You could be the Messiah. You don't even know it. I mean, imagine it, it being birthed again, this, this, this beauty of our line, having the kingdom. Now, obviously, we don't want to celebrate that too much. We got, we got Herod around still. You know that. But son, imagine you, the honor of being a son of David. This is so important. And, and now that you're betrothed, you're going to have children one day. You can train them in, in, in being a carpenter like me, like like your grandfather was. You know, this is a wonderful trade. It's perfect. It'll be excellent. Joseph, you'll see. Dad, you tell me this every time we walk home. I know it's so important. Our honor is at stake on these things. I, I, I know, Dad. But, but we do have the fields to get dealt with. We, we still have work to do. You're right. You're right. Let's go. And as we were starting to walk towards our home, towards the field, we began to notice kind of a, a collection of people coming our direction. It was Mahalel and his, his daughter Mary, my, the one I've betrothed to, and, and, and her brothers. This didn't look good because Mahalel came rolling up to me and he says, Joseph, what have you done? What, what, look at this. This is a disgrace. My father Jacob steps in between and says, you will not speak to my son. You will speak to me. I am the head of the household here. I am the one that you are to speak to. Do not disgrace my son. And then they both noticed that some of the men in the fields we were walking by suddenly calmed and dropped their, their implements and were looking. Mahalo said, well, I don't want to have this conversation here. Please, we need to, we need to deal with this now. Follow me. My father and I followed Mahalo, his sons, and Mary into their home. Quickly, he shut the door, and with what he could, pushed the, the, his bed mat in front of it, turned around and said, how could you do this, Joseph? You couldn't wait? You couldn't, you couldn't possibly wait the, the, for the betrothal period, really? You had to sleep with my daughter immediately? I know I should not have let you guys walk around in the vineyards, enjoy yourselves when you are talking away from me. I should have been there every single time. I knew it. I, I, I stepped back and said, what? What, 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 are you, what are you talking about? Mary, she's pregnant. I, I would love to tell you, I focused in on every part of the conversation after that, but my head was spinning. My father was yelling and, and arguing that this couldn't possibly be the case. And, and I'm, I, I, she's pregnant? Mary? She's a godly woman. Why would she do this to me? Oh, we've been betrothed for over, over three months. This, this is re what is going on? I, I don't understand this. And my, my, all of my confusion... Suddenly, they were both staring at me. Well, what do you have to say, Joseph? I was like, this is not my child. I haven't done this. This isn't, this isn't my case. I ask her what's going on. And Mary says, no, it wasn't Joseph's. It wasn't Father. Be quiet. How do you know it? I want to know it's not yours. I want you to swear by God. I swear by God, this is not my child. Mary said, Father, I told you, this is from God. He turned around and smacked her across the face. You don't blaspheme in my home, he told her. Stay quiet. My father dove in. That whore of your daughter is going to cause us dishonor. You need to get her out of here. At that point, it was over. We both turned around, left. I walked back home in a daze. What is going on? Mary? What? 
sat down in my home. My father was pacing in front of us, back and forth. We are the line of David, he was saying. We, are, we have honor in this town. We, we are a direct lineage. We, we can't have this dishonor. Joseph, you're going to have to divorce her. They're going to think it's your child. They're going to assume that it's our problem. I can't pick a wife that somehow we haven't raised you right. Well, you have to do this, Joseph, and you need to do it publicly. You need to collect all the dowry, collect all of the gifts. We're just going to keep them, and then we will publicly shame them because that is what needs to be done. We need to distance ourselves as far as possible do you understand me, Joseph? All I could say was, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My mother was crying in the corner, and my sisters were crying because they had so enjoyed getting to know Mary, and it just was devastating. Absolutely devastating. We unrolled the bed mat. We didn't do any work for hours. We just sat arguing and complaining, and I lay down and on the mat when my mother weeping as she's falling asleep, my father huffing, still grumbling under his breath about the honor of, of the Davidic line and the branch. And my brothers had, had already fallen asleep. I don't know what to do. My mind was spinning. If I, I had to divorce her. It was the only, only conclusion. The question was, did I want to do it in such a public manner as to shame her? She wasn't, she didn't need the shame. She, she didn't need the situation where suddenly she was going to be viewed as a, a whore who needed to be pushed out and, and never allowed into the communities of the women. I, I, I couldn't do that to her. Oh, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna involve myself. That would be to to cause problems for my brothers. They would never get jobs again. My sisters would be viewed in the same light as Mary if I received this woman. There's just no way. And, and so, as I struggled in, to fall asleep, I, I determined, you know, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fill out the bill of divorce, but I'm gonna do it quietly. I'm not gonna shame her publicly. I'm not gonna call her out in front of the home and and keep her. I'll just give her all of her stuff back, and we'll make sure that this just goes away. I still didn't sleep well. And that's when it happened. I fell into this deep portion of my sleep, a deep sleep. And it felt like a presence was in the room. But in my dreams, things were crazy. There was crowds in front of me, people yelling at me what I had done. Mary sitting in the middle, everybody shouting at her and shouting at me, how could I have possibly done this thing? And me protesting, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And holding a bill of divorce in my hand, my father yelling and smiling. And out of nowhere came this man crawling through the crowd, and he wasn't normal. He, he, he had a glow about him, strong, tall, and he stepped forward, and suddenly I, I was shaking. I fell on my knees. It was an angel. This was the clearest I'd ever seen a dream in my life. Every detail was, in, it was ground into my mind, and he looked at me and said, Joseph, do not be afraid. And then suddenly I calmed down for a second, and I looked up at this man as he looked at me. He said, you will take Mary as your wife. Because the child that is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly that thought weighed on me. Mary was right? She wasn't blaspheming God? What is going on here? The man took another step towards me. She will give birth to a son, he told me. And you will name him Jesus. For he will deliver his people from their sins. And then there was this flash, and I woke up, and I was still on the bed mat, laying next to my father, and I'm going, what in the world is this? Sweat and shakes. I sat up. If I'm not supposed to divorce her, what am I supposed to do? 
I can't imagine what, what the situation is going to be. I mean, I'm going to be thought of as, as a, a man who has, has slept with his bride before the time. It's dishonorable. It's a disgrace. My entire family, my brothers, I can't do this. Yet I knew this was from God. I knew I had to. I knew this was something I, I was supposed to do. So I, I pushed the thoughts out of my head. I wrestled until morning. And I determined, no, no, this is from God. I need to do this. That morning we woke up. We rolled up the bed mat and leaned it in the corner of the house. Turned around. My brothers had prepared a bit of, of, a, of the meal with my mom and my sisters. And they, we all laid, sat it down. And my father was talking about how he's, he's got the bill of divorce already written up. And all I need to do is put my name on it. Go over to Mary's house. Publicly call her out. Let's, let's get, gather these things. Get that jar and get that thing. And gather these people. We're going over there. And finally, I just looked at him and said, Dad, I'm not doing this. He said, what? Now, my dad's a bit of a hothead. You haven't seen anything like this. When I suddenly told him, no, I had a dream last night. God told me I'm to marry her. He flipped his lid. You too? You want to blame God on this thing? What is, your, what is wrong with this generation? You children are insane. This is not God's fault. He would never dishonor David's line. He would never dishonor this family. He would never tell you to dishonor anyone. This is not God's way. My mother sat thinking, pondering. I tell her it, it kind of impacted her, but I didn't know what to do. But I stood my ground. If this is what God told me to do. He was going to come through, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Sure, take a step of faith. And what do we end up with? I end up with no, less jobs than I've ever had in my life. Oh, the ribbing from every single guy around to my brothers and me and my sisters being called sluts and all kinds of names. And, and just, just everything about our life suddenly crumbled. We, we did the marriage ceremony of, of a few months later. And to be quite honest, only a couple of us were there. It was my family, her family, and that was about it. Continued to be disgraceful as people continued to talk. And I had to go into Sepphoris and actually gain jobs from Gentiles instead of gaining jobs from Jewish men and women who knew I had been shamed. And, and at this point, suddenly, my life was just more and more difficult because they weren't going to accept me because I'm working for Greeks now. I'm thinking, when is this going to turn? Mary had moved into the home, but my sisters weren't allowed to speak to her. My mother would be kind to us, but had to obey my father's law, which was you, you just let them live here, but that's it. They need to pay us. And so I was living in rent in my own father's home, working the fields when I needed to to help provide a little bit of help. But ultimately, we were, we were just viewed as the worst. I thought it was going to get better. I thought it was going to blow over. I was hoping for some help, but out of nowhere, suddenly up comes this Roman centurion one day into our town on his horse. His entourage behind him, shouting, bringing out trumpets, holding up the ugly, evil banners of Rome, set the standard in and started shouting, I've got great news for all the people. You are to go to your ancestral homes to be registered. We all knew what that meant, more taxes. You hear men grumbling and grabbing their plowshares, looking at each other, ready to just attack this man. But the grumbling was calmed down as we started to realize we had nothing to do about this. They marched on after the announcement. My father said, looks like we better pack up. He had been born in Bethlehem. It was our ancestral home. And so now we had to gather our things. My father looked over at my wife and said, well, the women are coming, I guess. 
pack up, let's get moving. We gathered our stuff, what we could together. We left a couple at home to watch our property, but ultimately, my, my brothers who remained behind, we, we, we gathered our stuff. I had to go now that I was ahead of a household, and I brought Mary along. Well, we weren't allowed to walk with everybody else. We stood in the back of the caravan, walking behind everyone. Sure, they gave us some food, but my father made sure that everybody knew I was not with them. We were not part of this family. They had disgraced us, and they separated themselves so far from us. We, we had our own fire. We had our own food. We slept on our own mats away from everyone out in, the, out in the wilderness. Three days of this. Tens of thousands of people were marching up and down the streets, going to their different directions, talking and giving greetings. And it was nice to feel a little normal for a little while. But my father kept announcing and making sure, this is no son of mine. He's not with me. Lo and behold, we came into Bethlehem, and I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was a small town, seen it many times before, had been to my uncle's home because we'd go down to the temple to worship every other year. And so we'd made the three-day journey, and we came into town, but the place was a seething mass of humanity. People yelling and screaming, going in and out of homes, the others heading off to Jerusalem just to buy goods because there had been so many people. Food was scarce, and people were complaining about the lodgings. Luckily, my uncle had a very, fairly large home. It had a small, you can imagine, the, the large walls with the, the rooms upstairs shaped like a U. And downstairs was this, was this paddock area with the slaves' quarters on the left. The servants would stay in there, and he had plenty of wealth and money. And so when we came, my, my, my father greeted his brother and uh, the other brothers who had come with their families as well. And he said, come, come upstairs. Come into the guest room. You guys are welcome, welcome. Joseph, what is this? He said to me. I said, this is my wife, Mary. And my father says, yes, and the bastard child. They're not with us. You don't have to find his own lodging. And my uncle said, really? What's? And the, suddenly the whole story came out. And my dishonor followed me. Father turned and said, they're not allowed in the guest room. My uncle looked around. It's, it's, it's full enough. You will sleep downstairs. He offered me at least the stables. Not even the servants' quarters were allowable. And so in our disgrace, they thought, well, you're at least as good as the animals. Looked around and then all the bunches of hay, a few chickens scratching the ground, one big ugly donkey and a cow and a bunch of goats. You ever slept with goats? They reek. It's disgusting. And that's where I was at. That was the standard of life that I had been brought to. You're as good as the goats. I looked at my wife and tears rolling down her face. I said, it'll be okay. We'll figure out something. We unrolled our mats and lay down on the floor, but I didn't have time to figure out anything else. My father had me running around with him everywhere to find out where we register, when we register, what we should do. Sends me into Jerusalem to buy goods for the family. I became the personal slave of the family, and off I was every day, back and forth, only to come home to see how she was doing, and she'd been left alone. A few conversations with my sisters. The aunts wouldn't touch her. Nobody wanted to deal with her. About two days into the, in the midst of all this chaos, we finally figured out roughly where we were going to register and how it was to work and what line we were to get in and who, what taxes we were supposed to pay. And Mary came up to me near the, nearing the evening. She said, Joseph, it's time. I'm like, time for what? Get out of here. I'm good with that. Where do you want to go? She's like, no, it's time. The baby's coming. And I'm going, you sure? She's like, 
I think I would know. And I'm like, oh, goodness. I'm a guy, what am I going to do? I ran to my mom. I said, mom, you got to give us some grace here. Help us out. She's going to have the baby tonight. And she said, what? Listen, son, it's okay. We'll handle this. And immediately, my aunts, my cousins, my sisters, my mom come down, grab me, shove me outside. I have to stand outside. I'm not allowed upstairs. But I'm not going to go in and watch this child be born. That's just not where the men's place is. These women have it far better and can handle it far better than I can. But it's scary. I stood outside that paddock, and I listened as she screamed and agonized as they calmed her down and talked to her, as they, as they soothed her. And they came out with, with just all of this rags filled with just, oh, just awful stuff. And I'm going, is she okay? What's going on? And I heard her screaming, and, and they go, and my mom comes out and says, Mom, Mom, what's going on? Is she okay? She's fine. This is normal. The baby's almost here. Things are progressing well. Just stay outside. You'll be fine. And she turns around, men, and walks in. I stand there, and I've got no one. My father doesn't care. My father says, we should just expose the child and get rid of it, something we as Jewish men and women don't even do, but he's so upset. And suddenly, we hear the cry of a baby burst through the night, the cry of this little child. And my mom comes out and says, come in, come in. It's a boy. And I said, or I thought in my mind, actually, <laughs> I know. I know it's a boy. I walk in, and there... Mary's holding this small little child. His hand barely, barely fit in my palm. Little kiddo, little brown kiddo, brown curly hair staring up at me. And I couldn't touch him because I, I, I didn't want to be unclean for the temple ceremony that we needed to go through. And I stood back and I watched carefully what was going on as, as she wrapped him with each little strip. We didn't have a clean linen so she just took strips that were lying around, bound him up, and she looked around. Where, where, where should we put him? I can't hold him all night. I'm, the, the mat's not going to be soft enough. I said, just put him over in the manger. That's got enough straw and hay in it. And so she shooed away the chickens and set the baby in, cleaned off some of the mess the chickens had left. And he just laid there sleeping. I thought there... In all this scene, if this is truly the man who's supposed to take away the sins of my people, why this, God? Aren't you going to provide for us? I thought there'd even be a room somewhere. You tell me to provide for this child. I don't have a job. I'm in a foreign town. I don't have any availability. He's in a manger, for goodness sakes. Mary fell asleep. Fine. I'm laying there on the mat, and I have no idea what I'm going to do because I know when God gives you something, man, you got to take care of it yourself. He's not going to step in, apparently, so I'm going to step up. I'm going I'm to do everything I can for this kid, everything I can for this family. It's my job. God gave it to me. Besides, it couldn't get any worse. At least that's what I thought. Suddenly, I hear somebody yelling, get out of my house! Look out down the street, and there's these shepherds running all over the place, opening people's doors, poking their heads in people's stables. And suddenly one guy leaps past me over the fence into the room and walks up and goes, I found it! I found it! He's over here! Come here! Come near! Lights are, torches are turning on as people are coming out, holding up their torches, looking. These guys are running around, their torches held high, and they're examining, they come in, 20 of them. 
all bustling into the room, into this patio area, pushing me out of the way. There's, it's here. The one guy pulls out a liar. I don't know where he got it from, but he just pulls it out. Got his tambourines. They start shaking and dancing, and they start singing the psalms, and they're shouting and hooting and hollering. My father, my uncle opened the door. What is going on down here? My uncle freaks out. Shepherds! The kind of shepherds, get these dirty shepherds out of here. I don't want these homeless men in my home. Get them out of here. They haven't been, did you, Joseph, did you let them in here? I, I, I don't know who they are. They, this is the son, this is, this is the one, this is the one. They were shouting at him. I don't want anything to do with that bastard child. And they slammed the door. And the shepherds kept dancing. I pulled one aside. What is going on? He says, we saw an angel. An angel in the sky appeared to us. He said that there is one who is coming. He would be, he would be the king, the Christ, the savior. He, he's here. This is amazing. They said we would find him wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. It's here. This is the boy. I'm sitting here going, okay. And said, angels and appeared. They were shouting and dancing and singing in the sky. It was incredible. We left immediately. I don't even know who's watching the fox. But we had to see it, and it's here. And they kept dancing and singing. And as much as we tried to get them out of the home, other people in town started coming. What is going on? The shepherds shared the story, and this buzz was beginning to move across in the, land, in, in the town. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't need this. I don't need them knowing that we've had shepherds. I'm the friend of a shepherd? No, I don't want to be known as the friend of a shepherd. But I was. This morning came, everyone said, hey, there goes Joseph. Hey, how's that boy doing, Joseph? Yeah, you know, the one the shepherds think is, is the Savior. Oh, the Messiah, huh? Yeah, good job, Joseph. I couldn't even overcome the reputation. My father and I went, we registered the family that day, and then he packed up and left immediately. We were stuck. We had to remain for the eight days in order to have this baby circumcised, and then we would name him. And we had, a, we had to pay the pledge for the firstborn son. And there was so much that we had to do. We, we, me and Mary stayed. My uncle said, you're fine. You can stay here, but you can sleep in the servants' quarters. And so we moved into the servants' quarters with our mats and laid down. And he told me, but you're also going to have to pay me rent. I figured that was coming. So the next few days, I worked at trying to find some jobs, some carpentry work, and I found some little bits here and there where people would accept me, but primarily I had to go into Jerusalem to get anything done. And as I found myself walking around Jerusalem, still the buzz was growing there. Did you hear about the crazy shepherd story? Oh, did you hear about the crazy shepherd story? Of course, I kept my mouth shut. I'm not going to go tell them, yeah, that was happening at my house, you know, that's, that's not how this works. Well, Enough days went by that we gathered, um, me and Mary gathered Jesus into our arms and we started traveling down the roads, went into Jerusalem and walked up to the temple. Huge, beautiful edifice. I'd seen it so many times, but this time it struck me differently. I saw the scaffolding and the men working as they were plastering and putting inlaying the gold on it and the temple courts as people rushed in and out and as people shouted and sold the different wares, we approached one of them and came up to the man. He said, what, what do you want? And I said, oh, we, we only got a couple of coins. They're like, here are the pigeons. And they just kind of tossed them at us. It was all we could afford. It was the smallest offering possible. It was something. We took it into the, I took it into the courts and I offered them up and they wrung their necks and split them open and did everything they were supposed to do. And we took Jesus over and he was circumcised and we officially named him what the angel had told us. 
gathered the baby back up. And on our journey in this time period, suddenly out of nowhere, this man, old man, comes up and says, it is the consolation of Israel. And he starts shouting about how this Jesus is the Messiah. And he was promised he would see him before he dies. And we're like, who are you, old man? He's like, my name is Simeon. And everybody knew he hung out at the place. And suddenly this crowd's forming. And we're like, thank you, sir. We appreciate that. And Mary kind of smiles and we move on. I'm like, what is going on around here? Suddenly this other lady comes up and she starts shouting the same stuff. And I look at everybody and they're like, this is Messiah, the Messiah. I said, you want Herod over here? And everybody got real quiet, real quick. That's all we need. I didn't need, I didn't need this growing in Jerusalem, for goodness sakes. I quickly gathered Mary and I rushed us out. And we hustled back into Bethlehem as quietly as we could because you don't want to mess with Herod. The guy's a crazy man. Everybody knows it. So what? He built a beautiful temple. He shouldn't be the king. He's not even Jewish, you know. The man is nuts. He's killed now several of his own family just to keep the title. What do you think he'd do to me? A guy of the lineage of David trying to claim I have a son who's the Messiah. Oh, yeah, that'd be marked territory. (laughs) It seemed like every step I took, God just made it more difficult. So now I'm trying to get jobs as the shepherd guy. Oh, heard about the hubbub in Jerusalem. What are you trying to do, Joseph? Trying to change your circumstances by making up stories, huh? Some people were hopeful. Some people would come and talk to us. Bottom line is none of us thought this was going to work out the way that it did. I finally got a couple jobs. We started paying the rent to my uncle, eating decently, starting to establish ourselves. I'm thinking, okay, this is getting better. I'm working hard. I think I got this. And then the rumors started. Magicians, magi out of the east, had somehow come into Jerusalem. Now, these guys had created a huge hubbub amongst the community. Nobody had seen guys like these. They, they were said to have, been, have crazy eyebrows and crazy eyes with strange turbans and, and colorful garments. And they held instruments and stared at the stars. And everywhere they went, they muttered to themselves under their breath. What a, what a weird group of people. Pagan astrologers from a far land. Huh. Some people even gathered together and said, hey, we're going to go in and take a look at them. This will be interesting. I don't want anything to do with them. That's all I needed in my life was to go look at somebody else who was going to be ashamed as I was. So I stuck it out, kept working hard. People would come in and say, it's, it's true. There's this caravan. There's like a hundred people in this thing. There's at least 20 of these magi. It's crazy. They would share the stories. We'd hear about it. And there'd be some laughs while we're working on the sites. But I, I didn't think it was going to come affect us. And so when nightfall hit that night, people were going to bed when suddenly somebody yelled out, the Magi, they're here. You heard every door close and latch down and lights out as I stared out the corner and down the middle of the street of Bethlehem came a whole horde of people in purple and blacks and gold and traveling on camels and you could hear them as they're walking along chanting their magic. One man's pointing at the stars in the sky. Others are talking to each other and I'm 
going, please go gone. Please go on. I had a bad feeling about this. And suddenly they stop and one says, star, it's here. Here is the house. And he's pointing at me. And I'm thinking, no, 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 stay out. Stay out. Is this home where king of Jews is born? <laughs> uh, uh, and one of the servants goes, yes, and comes and opens the door and invites them. And I'm going, no, 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 no. And it takes them into the servants' quarters where Mary is with the baby. And they go, is this the baby? And they all have this, suddenly all these people are, are talking to one another all excitedly. And I'm going, no, no, no. And my uncle opens the door. What is going on? What is this? Gentiles in my home. What have you, Joseph? Did you invite them in here? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's me again. That's what I do. I invite slaves, uh, everything. <sighs> now I'm a friend of the shepherds. I'm a friend of the Gentiles. This is not going well. I stand around. They're talking. They're doing all kinds of hubbub and conversation. And it's just going crazy. My uncle slams the door and locks it. And you can hear him upstairs going, just turn the lights off. Turn the lights off. Nobody, nobody will notice. I pull one of these magi aside and say, what are you doing here? Oh, we have seen the star in east. We come to see the king of the Jews. Okay. Great. He's here. This is him. I said, yep, yeah, yeah, you're right. This is wonderful. We go to Herod and we ask him if he's, what did you say? We talk to Herod. He say, this is where King of Jews is born. We, we come and we worship. Did you say Herod? Seriously, Herod knows about this. No, it can't get any worse. What am I going to do? About I can't fight Herod. He's got to be on this place in a heartbeat. He's got to have a spy in here. What is going on here? And he's sitting there smiling. Isn't it wonderful? And I'm thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> well, they do their thing, whatever they did. I'm sitting in the corner talking to the donkey. Can you believe this? Herod knows about it. What are we going to do? We're doomed. We're dead. This is over. Well, in time, they calmed down. They went outside and they actually set up camp in the street. And I'm sitting in the servants' quarters and every once in a while, because I couldn't sleep, I'd peer out. No, I'm still there. And then one, all of a sudden I heard this rustle in their camp. Suddenly they were up. They were moving. And I, had, and I said, where are you going? They said, had dream, must leave. Herod's not safe. And I thought, no, duh. Where, where are you guys coming from? And off they marched away. The caravan leaves and I'm just laying on this mat next to Mary. Jesus is stirring a little in his sleep. And I'm going, this can't be happening, God. You gave me this. How are you going to get me out of this? I don't have any money to do anything. And finally, I just so exhausted from the day fell asleep. Again, suddenly this dream hit, a deep dream. There was a crown and these dark clouds swirling around it and, and lightning and, and all these things going on. Suddenly the man appeared again that I had seen in my previous dream, bright, shining, strong. And he looks at me and says, the child is not safe. Herod is seeking to kill him this night. Rise up and leave and go to Egypt. A flash and again, I wake up sweating in my, on my bed mat and I look over at Mary, and I look at the child, and I go, Egypt? 
You don't understand. There's only two routes to Egypt from Bethlehem. Either you go out through the wilderness and you, and you, you get approached by robbers and you deal with all kinds of trade, caravan men and, and it's expensive to go that route or you go through Jerusalem right into the hands of Herod. And who wouldn't check? Why are you two with a baby in the middle of the night walking around? I don't know what to do. And so you're going, God, you give me something to do and you don't provide anything. You give me dishonor. You don't give me a job. I find myself working hard to even have a home. If you're going to give me a job, God, aren't you going to provide? What's going on? And he's like, what is wrong? <sighs> don't worry about it. No, tell me. Okay, fine, fine. God said, Herod's seeking to kill the child. We have to get out of here now. We have to go to Egypt Start packing your things. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going I'm to make this happen. I'm, I'm, maybe we can like, I, I don't have any answers to this. Egypt's a long, long way. It's a month's journey from here. What are we going to do? She said, calm down. We'll be fine. No, we won't be fine. Did you understand how this works? We go out on the street and we get killed. Herod's going to find us. We can't move that fast. We will be fine. No, we're not going to be fine. I don't have a job. I am dishonored. I have no shame. We have a bastard child here. No one's going to listen. We will be fine. God has provided. Where? Where? Just come here. She calms me down and slides out from under a cloth a jar. And it's this. Oh, those magicians brought it. She opens it up. And the smell of frankincense fills the room. That stuff's expensive. Yeah. And here, check this out. And she opens up and there's myrrh. I'm going, this is great, but we can't get into Jerusalem to sell this stuff. This, this isn't, isn't going to help us on this trip. It's Okay. And then she slides a box and opens it up, and inside, to the top, is filled with gold coins. And I look at her, and she gives me this smile. See? God won't ask us to do something without providing. Boy, was she right. That gold got us down here to Egypt. It helped us make it all the way. We've lived off of, the, off of selling off those spices. Sure, I've had jobs here and there, but the bottom line is God absolutely provided. Yeah, so he's calling me to go home to Nazareth, despise Joseph to go home. But I'm not as worried this time. See, when God tells us to do something and we take the step of faith, he always supports us. Maybe he's calling you to do something, I don't know. But it's good to remember that he's got us. It's good to remember that he provides.